we're being propagandized to death from day one, you know, from the time we're born to school and how we're taught about history and what the government is and what it does. And wherever there's a, a problem, it's always like, oh, there's this problem in society. And well, how can the government fix it? It's never about like, what can individuals do or what can you do in your own life or anything like that? It's always how can the government fix this? If the government really actually worked, if it worked for people and if it was, if the, if the things that we learn in school were actually true, that this is there, it's, you know, there are servants and they're, they're doing these things for, for us, then why would we need all the propaganda? What we've done with governments and, you know, sort of collectivizing people and thinking of everything in groups instead of individuals is not the natural way, even though that's kind of the world order right now. It's just that this is the phase that we're in. And, you know, I think it's, it's taken away a lot of opportunities for people in the world to grow because they just don't really know any better. The authoritarians only have so much power. There's always ways around this stuff and there's always ways to create more freedom. The more freedom that we can have, more self-actualized will be, and then it just creates a better world. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Kevin Koskella, who is a digital nomad, globetrotter, and all-around freedom maximalist. I first got connected to Kevin on Twitter. He's a supporter of the show, and he invited me to come on his podcast, The Freedom Loving Podcast, which I'll give a link to that episode in the description. And I also invited Kevin to come on the Staying Free Podcast to share some of his ideas as well. Turns out that Kevin and I have a very similar philosophy when it comes to freedom. So I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to connect and get to know each other a bit more through these conversations. Kevin has a book called The Rebel's Guide to Freedom, which is all about becoming resilient, owning your life and thriving. And what I really like about Kevin is that he marries these ideas of freedom on a kind of macro scale, as well as freedom on a personal level. And in particular, how the freedom philosophy applied to the individual can actually lead to self-growth as well. If you enjoy the episode, please give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, welcome. Give the podcast a subscribe for future episodes. And also go have a listen to some of the previous episodes, which I'm sure will also interest you. If you'd like to support the podcast, this can be done in two ways. You can give Bitcoin tips both on-chain and via Lightning Network, and you can donate with Fiat via Buy Me A Coffee as well. Links to those are in the description. Tips are hugely appreciated and will go directly towards the costs of running the show. All right, on to the episode. I came down here and uh, during COVID, I I, I was I, I was planning on traveling um, the summer of 2020, and then everything hit and everything closed down. And I was even in June. I think it was June. I was like, well, Portugal Portugal was supposed to open up in July, and then that came and went. And then I was like, shit, I, I don't know where I'm going to go because I, I always I usually travel like go somewhere in the summer. And uh, so then I ended up just kind of traveling in the U.S. a little bit, and then. Um, you know, Brazil was open the whole time. So I just, uh, that was, that was an easy choice because my business partner is here. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to Brazil. And, and then, uh, yeah, then I, uh, I've been going back like ever since then, I've just been back a bunch of times. And the first three times I went, it was so nice because nobody was traveling. Everybody was terrified of COVID and I was going to airport, empty airports and stuff like that. So. All right, so you're going to go traveling anyway. You're not a uh, COVID refugee or anything like that. You're always going to go abroad, but you just uh, happened to end up in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, I, I was. I mean, I, I moved to Austin in, in January of 2020, and I, I the, the the plan was six months and then st keep start traveling again. So I was pretty nomadic before that, 
And then, uh, yeah, six months and it was like, yeah, there, there's no way I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to Europe. It was completely closed. And so, yeah, Brazil was kind of by default. It was either Brazil or Mexico. And, and I just, you know, I had reasons to be in Brazil. So, and I'd never been here before. So that was kind of a, you know, a, a new adventure for me as well. So. All right, cool. So you said that Brazil didn't have any restrictions and stuff. Was that always the case? Because I've heard kind of mixed things about this. Like you didn't have to at any point, like get a vaccine to enter or anything like that. Yeah. So no, when I first uh, went in, in uh, November, 2020, it was uh, completely open. They didn't require anything. It was just a passport. And so that was one of the reasons too. I was like, this is, you know, it's wide open and super easy to get in. And um, then, yeah, things started to change in, in 2021. So it's uh, it, it started with just doing the, the COVID test. Right. Um, and and then, and that was there for, for most of 2021. I think it was just the COVID test. And then in December, at the end of 2021. Um, so Brazil is run by what they call activist judges. So it's it's a really bizarre thing is everybody focuses on the president, but the president doesn't have that much power. I mean, compared to the the their Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was anti-Bolsonaro. So they just wanted to, Bolsonaro came out one day and said, um, I do not want to uh, require vaccines for people entering Brazil. So it was like the next week, the Supreme Court just went completely against him. And they said, that's it. We're going to require vaccines for everybody that enters, any, any foreigners coming into Brazil. So yeah, that was a little bit of a hit, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's always way, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. So, uh, you know, I'm not interested in, in accepting the vaccine into my life, but, um, but, you know, there's always ways to do things, especially with a big bureaucracy like Brazil, where it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty messy and it, you can't take it too seriously. All right. So are you, um, planning on just staying in Brazil then? Are you, have you kind of set in roots or are you, are you still kind of in travel mode? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm I'm here for the time being. Uh, I I sort of I still have sort of like an address in Austin, and my business is based in Austin. So I'm not getting rid of that. I'm not going to change that. But um, but I am uh, I'm, I'm dating somebody here in Brazil. So I'm trying to figure out how to stay longer. I haven't I haven't like looked into visas and all that. So this time around, I'm here for two months, and then I'll come back in January for longer. And I don't know. Um, how, how much longer? It might be the whole year. It might be a few months. I, it's, it's really tough to say. Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I'm sort of back in nomad mode, but it's, but it's sort of like b- between here, here in Brazil and Florianopolis and, and Austin. Oh, cool, cool. So yeah, just rewinding the clock a bit then. Um, you said that you moved to Austin when you were in the United States, like that, that's not where you're from. Uh, how did that go? Or, or I guess let's go back even further, like growing up and stuff. What was your philosophy sure. then? Because obviously now you're into, you know, all of this kind of freedom lifestyle and, you know, digital nomadism and traveling and all this kind of stuff. So what was, what was life like growing up? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in California and I was, uh, outside of San Francisco and, uh, I, I started discovering that I liked freedom at an early age when I had a, like a globe in my room and I would look at all the different countries and all the different places that I could potentially go to. And I would get in trouble a lot. So I would, I would be sent to my room. Right. And so I'd be sitting in my room and I, I had a map on the wall and a, and a globe. And I would just like, look at like, where else could I be right now? It'd be so much nicer if I were able to go off into some island somewhere uh, or anywhere. You know, I would pick some weird place in Russia or something and go, oh, that would be interesting. And so I, I started getting interested in travel at an early age. 
And, and then I, uh, I also, um, my, my parents were very political and, um, I just kind of followed along with what they're, what they thought, you know, I just, whatever they thought was right was what I thought was right. And I didn't question a whole lot. And then I got a little bit older and I, I, yeah, I kind of disc- started discovering like political philosophy and, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem exactly right. And so I, my parents were kind of like right wingers, you know, they were, they were like, um, uh, fans of Ronald Reagan, you know, that was, that was where they came from. And, you know, and I think, you know, when I look back on it, it's like Reagan gave some great speeches, I mean, for sure, but nothing in government really changed when he, when he took over. And so a lot of that was, uh, you know, I sort of discovered, you know, later in my twenties and even my thirties where I was like, um, you know, th- this isn't exactly what I believe in. And I, and I started kind of diving into, um, first, first it was like Harry Brown and, and, you know, like the, how I found freedom in an unfree world. And, and then, uh, then later was Ron Paul and, and it sort of just opened me up to new, new ways of thinking about things. And then that led to, uh, getting really interested in psychology and sort of understanding myself. And I think that's where like really my life changed a lot when I was able to sort of dig in and kind of figure out who, who I was, um, which I hadn't done. And, and, and then, um, you know, life kind of continuously got better and better after that. And I felt like, um, I was much more, uh, able to make decisions that were benefit beneficial to myself instead of just sort of like being led around by whatever the thing is or whatever I'm supposed to do. Um, then it sort of allowed me to break out, you know, kind of break out and, and carve out my own freedom rather than, you know, wait for others to, to, to hand it over to me. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a really important point as well. Like I, I feel, I feel that when you, when you kind of invite freedom into your life and not just necessarily like invite it into your life, but you actually learn about it. You learn about the philosophy of it and you kind of incorporate it in some way into your life and you try to live according to those values. Life seems to become more colorful. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think that, um, it, it, to, to get there, you really have to do a lot of, you know, digging in and, and understanding yourself and, and your capabilities in life. And if, if you, if you don't do that, if you don't know who you are, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of, just being programmed by everybody around you, you know, including of course, media and government and schools and, and, and your friends that don't really uh, have the same ambitions that you, you might have. And so, yeah. So uh, when, when you can get there and, and sort of embrace freedom, um, it, it does feel like it's, it's so much better. And then, and then all these like fights and um, frustrations and things like that uh, are minimized because you, you can have a little more control over your own life rather than outsourcing it to others like politicians or, or something where you have to wait for things to happen in, in, in order to uh, get life satisfaction. Yeah, a big part of it is like personal empowerment, right? Like it's um, it, it, like when you stop depending upon these institutions, which to some degree are dependable, right? Like they might be dependable for a time. There might be a time that it's like, okay, I can trust the government to provide me with this, that, or the other. But, you know, first of all, that clock is kind of always ticking. You never know it's always going to be there. But also when you kind of like step away from that, that personal empowerment kind of can be just really a really fulfilling process to go through, right? I, I think that that's a natural part of the human experience that a lot of people just kind of deny. Yeah, the, that for sure. Yeah, that's um, it's it's a really tough thing for I think for a lot of people, especially depending on where you're born, because sometimes it's it's like you know you be, you could be born in a certain place where these these values of uh, collectivism are just drilled into your head, like this is how things are, and it's really hard to break break free from those those program beliefs. 
And, and so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's, um, it, it's, it, it becomes like you, you really open up your, your life to a lot more opportunities. Um, if you can, if you can sort of see that, you know, like freedom is yours for the taking and it's, it's not going to be, um, an easy path. It's not the path of least resistance. And, um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of paths. There's also all sorts of ways to get there. It's not just one way. There's not, you know, there's not a prescribed thing. It's not like you, you get a degree and then there you, you do this. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's so many things. Yeah. So a lot of people, they would kind of take the other side of that and they go, Oh, I know like collectivism is like a great thing. And the way that I'm going to solve problems in my life is not going to be by taking kind of self-ownership. I'm going to look for political solutions to this stuff, right? Like I'm going to find a, like every societal pro problem, I'm going to find a political solution for it. And that's the answer. We should always just try to, you know, find that solution that way. And you just advocate for that. Why is it that you take a different approach? Well, that it doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So that that's one of the, one of the main things. And yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if, if the government really actually worked, if it worked for people and if it was, if the, if the, the things that we learned in school were actually true, that this is there, it's, you know, there are servants and they're, they're doing these things for, for us, then why would we need all the propaganda? Like, you know, we're, we're being propagandized to death from day one, you know, from the time we're born to school and, and, you know, you know, how we're, how we're taught about history and um, what the government is and what it does. And, and, you know, especially in the U S you know, I don't know how much you, know, you growing up in the UK, you got, uh, of this kind of propaganda, but for us, it was a lot of, it was like, um, you know, we're always the good guys. Uh, the government is, is noble and it has, it, it's, you know, the way, the, the way America was created was this like almost uh, re religious thing that, that, that happened with these people that were like all knowing and, um, and, and, and it was, and it's like that we had our, you know, we were taught that these, these founding fathers were like, pretty much gods, like there was nothing better and you couldn't possibly come up with a better idea than what they had. And, and here's all the reasons why it's so great. And then, you know, you just go through life and you, you know, you, anywhere you go, there's TVs on with, with whatever news channel, CNN or, or whatever. And that's reinforcing everything. And then, like you said, it's like that wherever there's a, a problem, people look for the government to fix it. And that's, and that's the go-to thing. If you pay attention to news um, it's always like, oh, there's this problem in society and well, how can the government fix it? It's never about like, what can individuals do or what can you do in your own life or anything like that? It's always, how can the government fix this? And if you're, you're either on one side or the other, right? You can't, you can't have a different opinion. It has to be, well, you either want to do it this way or that way. And so usually it falls in line with the two parties. And then, you know, everybody's arguing about these solutions that, are, are not workable. They, they, they do not work. And there's, you know, we could go into all the philosophy behind, behind that, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that, that it's done now, you know, now 2022, um, we're, we're seeing the final stages of these institutions being credible and, and reliable and, you know, anything that we can even believe anymore. That's funny. You say that actually about like the founding fathers and stuff and, and the fact that that was kind of so imbued in like American culture is teaching you about, you know, the nature of that. Cause I, I always wondered this, like, cause I, I think that the founding, sorry, the founding fathers and the, the foundation of America and stuff or the formation of America, like that there's actually the, the ideology they adopted is actually something that's been very much like lost over time in some sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wonder whether, like there's almost a backlash in America to a certain degree about the founding fathers and about the founding of America. That's like, Oh, you know, because now America's kind of gone so 
is so divergent to that. You know, like you look at some, you yeah. look at like Joe Biden and everything that, that that he advocates, and not just him. You know, you could you could argue the same of the Republicans as well. But especially, I think this is this is true of like Democrats and Joe Biden in particular. The whole ideology is very much just like you know the government will fix all your problems, and you know they don't like much of what the founding fathers actually stood for. So I w- I always wondered like what do they teach in school? Because presumably you have to you know recite uh, what, what is it? Is, is it like you recite the um, there's some mantra, isn't there, in America that you recite in schools? I can't remember what it is, but it's all about like yeah, yeah, the pledge of allegiance. That's the one, yeah, yeah. pledge of allegiance. And, and I always wondered, like, will that go on forever, or will they try to like phase it out as they kind of try and walk away from um, those ideas? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it, it's it it is gone way far from the original ideals of the country. I mean, when when the country started, there was no income tax for a hundred years. There was no income tax, and um, you know, it, it it was booming. It was like America was was the freedom, the, the center of freedom in the world, and that's and you know, t- to this day, this is why we we are still going, you know, relatively strong in the u.s because uh, it's just momentum i mean we the, the the united states has the biggest government in the world uh you know it's 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 not even close and it's like um th- this this idea of the fa- the founding fathers had of you know keep the government to a minimum you know the the night watchman state that uh will we'll just kind of um you know just be for for the courts and 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 uh police and things like that but but nothing else and um, yeah, it's gone. It's gone so far from that, and yet we still have the rhetoric. I mean, it's still there. You know, they're still they, they will recite these things. You know, in, in in especially with politicians, and as if it's still the same place. But you know, I've you traveled. I traveled. I mean, we know it's kind of just another country now, and it's there. There is that sort of underlying um, streak of liberty in the, in the U.S. that I think other countries don't really have, but it's pretty buried these days. It's not. Like it's definitely not showing up in in government. I mean, that's for sure. Um, and that's where you know we, you talk about you know your podcast is staying free. And you know, in order to stay free, we need to take it upon ourselves. I mean, there's no there's no more going into this thing of like, oh, we'll just we'll just roll it back, right? That's the that's what the Republicans will say. Well, just we'll just roll it back, and we just need to get the right politicians in there, and then we'll be able to get back to what we were before, which was so great. But then you know, you look back, and there were problems all you know all along the way, especially after they put in the income tax and the Federal Reserve and all these things, so many problems. So it didn't really work, you know. Like this was a great try, a great experiment, but it didn't it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So actually, that kind of um, brings me nicely on to the next thing I wanted to discuss with you, with you, which is location independence. Because I think this is something that a lot of people maybe maybe like neglect a bit is like the ability to become th- become free and become like more um, kind of self sovereign by uh, kind of you know flag theory. We you know some people know it as, but I guess mm-hmm. the more common term is like just literally moving to somewhere that offers you more freedom or more benefit you know just just more um even just more prosperity or something in your life right so you've obviously kind of somewhat gone through that process you're living in brazil now like how do you kind of like view this whole concept of location independence and how it fits into like freedom philosophy yeah um i i think that it's it's part of the equation for me it's not everything uh because there's some people that just love where they live they don't really want to travel they don't necessarily you know like 
have the desire to to live in another country or even even another city. They just love where they are. So it, it, that's fine. And I think you can have just as much freedom if that's what you want, um, because so I don't I don't ever prescribe it like you need to be you need to be like able, you know, uh, a location independent. I think I'll, I'll take that back. I, I think you need. I think becoming location independent is really important, but that doesn't mean you need to go and bounce around the world or live in different places. Um, I think there's okay. just the ability to be able to to leave if you had to. You know, if something were to go horribly wrong and you had to leave, I think that that's that's where it becomes important. And then as far as like um, you know, I, I think it's a personality thing. Like you and I both like to travel and see different places and and experience different places. And that's great. And if that's what you want, um, you can do it. And no, as, as you probably know, you don't need a lot of money. And so this is the thing is like it, it, when you realize this, you can have so much freedom to see um, so many places in the world. And, and, and for me, that's that's awesome. You know, that's it's it's amazing to be able to go to go and live somewhere else or even just to travel, you know, for a month somewhere and have my laptop and, you know, be able to still make enough money to to get by. And um, yeah, so I think that it, it is it is part of this this whole equation of, of building more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like, you know, we obviously kind of have that ability, you know, we're kind of digital nomads and we have the ability to move to different places, but there are some, you know, there are a lot, well, most people, I guess, you know, that, that aren't able to, aren't able to do that. They're not necessarily able to, able to be digital nomads and, and that kind of thing. Do you think that like, do you think that, like everyone needs to have essentially like a different approach to this? You know, some someone might say, okay, well, you know, my job is I work in this particular place. I need to be in the factory or whatever, like working there. Um, that for those people, like they need to just kind of approach freedom differently. Or do you think that everyone should be in some way ascribing to have some level of location independence? Like, because I guess I look at this a lot from like my, you know, from my own lens, like I'm looking at the world through the lens of someone, you know, I, I work, you know, essentially with like technology and media it can be done anywhere. Um, and I'm, I kind of have that luxury. And sometimes I'm like, uh, I, I talk about these things, but it's kind of from a very like privileged perspective of my own mm -hmm. personal kind of career circumstances. Um, you know, and, and even a lot of my friends are in kind of like somewhat similar situations to me, they are actually able to do their jobs remotely. So I guess like for those people who aren't, how do those people kind of um, become free in their own uh, lives, people who who might not necessarily have location independence at their disposal. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what I was saying is it, it's more of like, what is your desire? Is your desire to, to go out and explore the world? Or are you okay with living in just one place and maybe taking a vacation every now and then? Um, you know, I, I think that's what it comes down to. So it's, it's like knowing yourself, what what is what, what kind of life do you want? What, do you want to stay in the same place and maybe raise a family and just kind of get embedded in the community? Or do you want to go out there and, and have, um, you know, adventures in different parts of the world, different parts of even, even the country. I mean, you could spend a lifetime traveling around the U S and never see the whole thing, you know, and, and never experience everything in the U S. So there's a lot that can be done just in your local area. So I think you can have a lot of freedom and I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing if, you know, and especially if you're like, if you like your job, like there's people that, that like their job and they want to, they want to stay in that job and they don't, they don't, you know, necessarily want to leave. And, and, you know, maybe it's a, a, a good salary or, or they just, they just enjoy what they do and they enjoy the people they work with. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see any, any problem with that, but I think it's, it's like setting yourself up for the case that you might not have a job. I mean, you know, like obviously we're in a recession right now, uh, things happen really quickly with, with layoffs and things like that. So it's really good to be able to have backup, you know, backups to what you're doing. If you have a job, and you're kind of stuck in one location. Well, I mean, look what happened in during COVID. I mean, we had like 
you know, California just kind of went down the tubes and uh, especially places like San Francisco where I'm from, where it, it's, it used to be just, a, you know, a really nice place to live. And, and then in the last couple of years, it, it just kind of tanked and it's just become a shitty place to live, but still with the price tag, like you're not, you're not saving, you know, the money, the, the rent didn't go down, but you're still, you're paying the, the, the prices as, as if it was this amazing city, which it used to be. And now it's, um, you know, it's just not, it's just not there anymore. And, and, and to, to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm not, I just looked at, so here's a story. I was just looking at my, the, the house I grew up uh, in as a child. Um, it's a, it's a very moderate three bedroom, two bath house in, uh, in a, in a, you know, okay area, middle-class kind of area in, in a city that never was known for being very nice. It was like, oh, it was, it's in the East Bay and it was always known for like, eh, it's, you know, it's always kind of like there's crime. There's it's, it's, it's not, you know, nothing really amazing about it. And, um, that house is now, it was, it's, it's valued at $1.1 million. And I'm like, that doesn't make oh, wow. any sense to me. That may, makes no yeah. sense to me. It's out. Everything is completely out of whack. And so what if you had the opportunity, if you were in a place like that, you could sell your house for a million dollars and just, just get out and move somewhere that could be really nice and, and pocket the, the, the money and then go live in a, in a much cheaper area. I mean, that's, that's freedom right there, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, the way that I kind of visualize this in my, in my mind is like a lot of the Western countries, like the Western economies that we traditionally thought were, you know, really, really like awesome and, you know, provide such good quality life, et cetera. They're like an elevator going down now, you know, like they, they, they kind of have already peaked. They've gone to the top that they're going to go. They're now kind of coming down because they've all become, you know, these, you know, they've become, they've turned into kind of very collectivist societies, like the culture's changed, the, you know, government has kind of grown out of proportion. They've got huge amounts of like debt at the national level. And now those elevators are coming down, but like there's all these other elevators of, you know, like other countries, like other nations that have really good offerings that are on the way up. You know, they're, they're countries that are now increasing their wealth. They're now places where people are getting more educated, where, you know, career opportunities are better in those countries, where they're, they're opening up, they're becoming more liberalized kind of economies, right? So like they're going up and you can kind of step off the elevator going down while another one yeah. is going up and then you can kind of like continue to improve your lifestyle. And I think a lot of people you know, maybe kind of like they're willing to, to like ride the elevator right down to the bottom, you know, and perhaps <laughs> they think that there's going to be some kind of sea change and it could happen, right? Like these things could happen. There could be some event, you know, like let's say an economic catastrophe that, you know, we, looks like we're already at the beginning of, and they could say, oh, well, you know, America is going to be the last one to totally collapse or whatever. But I look at those societies and, you know, you can see with some cities like in, uh, in America and in, in Canada and in the UK and other European cities where actually the, the cities that they're, they're really, they're really bad, you know, like they're, you know, they've got huge amounts of homelessness and stuff. I mean, you would see, I've seen like, you'd see, you know, on an average day in, in, in the UK, for instance, like you're walking around London, you walk down like your average street, you're going to see more homeless people than I've probably seen in like Mexico, like the entire time I've been here. Wow. It's it, like, you know, there's, there's very little homelessness here. And, you know, it's the case for a lot of other, other countries. I think that there's poverty. Don't get me wrong. There is poverty, but like this kind of abject poverty, you know, where we're like tents on the side of the street and stuff that you see in California and, you know, you see it in London yeah. and stuff as well now. Like I've never seen that here. I don't know if you have it in Brazil, but it seems like this um, phenomenon is kind of like uniquely Western, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that that kind of just speaks to the fact that because we've become so collect, like collectivized, we're so used to the government doing everything for us and just saying, okay, well, if something goes wrong, the government will be there. Well, when it's not, you're on a tent in the street in the West, right? 
But yeah. whereas in, if you're in Mexico, you go and live with your parents, you go and live with your family, you go and, you know, that there's, there's someone there who's going to take you in because they haven't developed these collectivist societies in the first place. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's an observation you, you would agree with or not. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I think most people are the, the vast majority of people have homelessness completely wrong. But I don't have the answer either. It's such a it's such a difficult thing. And I, and I lived in San Diego for a long time. And downtown San Diego is just filled with homeless people. I mean, it's there are streets that are lined with tents, like you were saying. It's like and I mean, it, it was a huge problem in San Diego. And there was there were rumors that I believed that were true where that there were other cities that would send homeless people to San Diego. So they would put put them on a bus and send them out when the election was coming up. And then they go, hey, look, we solved homelessness or we we're making progress on homelessness in this city. And, you know, that's that's that, that is totally believable to me because that's something that politicians would do. And uh, but what they do, like in San Diego, what the way they you know try to solve it is to like uh, build shelter for homeless, like take the taxpayer money and build shelters. And people think, well, that's a good thing because they need they're homeless. They need homes. But the problem is a lot of them, they actually want to be homeless. It's like that's been, you know, if you go around and ask them, they they don't really have a huge desire to to not be homeless. Some of them do. I mean, that's true. But um, but there's it's you know there it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, some of it is drugs. Some of it, some of it is people getting strung out on on drugs. Uh, some of it is the military adventures that the um, you know the United States military goes on and and sends these people off, sends these kids off to to battle, and then they end up killing somebody. Their friends get killed. Whatever happens, and then they get traumatized and they come back to the U.S. and they get some benefits for like the first year, but after that, they're kind of just let go. And then if they have mental issues they're not dealt with. So then they end up on the street. So there's like, there's like all these factors that go into it. And then the cities are left to deal with the problem. And what they do, you know, all they do is throw money at it. And and then they're not even incentivized to fix the problem because these city, you know, whatever government people, um, they're just trying to keep their jobs. So in order to keep their jobs, if they actually solved homelessness, they're, they're not as relevant. So they kind of need homelessness to continue. Now, I think that there are people at, that work at these cities that are, they're good people. They want to do the right thing, but I don't think that the incentives are there. So it just, the problem continues to get worse because we're, like you said, the collectivism, we're expecting that, oh, well, the government will, will solve it. Like nobody's innovating to come up with ways to solve it and to change, you know, the, the fundamentals. Like, why do we have so much, such a big drug problem in the U.S.? And why do we, why are we still, sending, you know, going off to, to wars that make no sense. I mean, you know, these are things that, that need to be questioned. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a complex issue and I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that right now it's, uh, it, no, nobody's really tackling it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you do have, because um, the thing is, you know, I talk to like Mexican people here and, and I'll say, oh, you know, like i I left the UK to come here and stuff. Sometimes they can't believe it. They're like, oh, but you know, all the, all the Mexican people, they want to be in America. You know, people want to yeah. go to America and work. And it's a funny e dynamic because it does actually make economic sense for people from Mexico, even now, even with the decline of America, because, you know, Mexico's, Mexico's kind of on the rise as a country. Yeah. America's on a decline, but right now there's still a gap. There's still a kind of arbitrage opportunity, if you know what I mean. So like- yeah people in Mexico, it does still make sense, especially for low earning people in Mexico to go to USA and earn the money, yeah. right? But it also makes sense for people in America who have some degree of money to come to Mexico to have a better quality of life because they're likely they're paying more for less, right? Whereas yeah. what Mexicans want is they want to earn more so that they can actually just have that basic level of um, 
you know, kind of living standard essentially. So it's, it's yeah. a weird time that we're in right now when, when I think that this switch is happening between Western countries and non-Western countries in terms of like prosperity and economic opportunities, et cetera. But I genuinely think that there is going to become a tipping point and, you know, kind of a side note, but just, uh, it's something I've been thinking about lately is everything that's going on, for instance, in Europe at the moment with the energy prices, like, you mm-hmm. know, some people's energy bills, they've gone up by like a thousand percent. I think like they've gone up like at least three X maybe. Yeah. Um, but there are actually some people, it's gone up even more than that. It's gone up so much in the UK. I'm, I'm kind of waiting for a tipping point where people say, well, I literally can't um, heat my home. I'm going to have to go somewhere that has cheaper energy. Um, yeah. Generally, the places that got the cheapest energy, you know, they're kind of like, quote unquote, third world countries. You know, they're not like the big Western nations. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like Southeast Asia and it's, um, you know, it's South America, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I wonder if you can speak to that for a minute. Yeah, um, it, it's it's very similar in Brazil from what you described is that like I tell people, uh, you know, I'm from the US and they have this kind of like there's a there's a strange thing here where there's this like awe of, oh, you're from the US. Like that's just like paradise. And they, they think it's this, um, the, you know, the, the, the vision is that it's this this free market paradise that like w- that's where everybody wants to go. Of course, like, of course, y- you'd want to go to the US. And and I, I understand that because, you know, it's it is like Brazil is, has been in this in this phase of like, it's kind of a third world place. There's a lot of things here that don't work. You know, things just generally don't work in Brazil. And so I get it. But they don't they don't they're not seeing it like we are. You know, they're just not seeing that that side of it where it's like, yeah, do you realize how much you're going to pay there and wh- how much you're going to struggle and, and and all that? It's it's, it's a different world. But um, yeah, I, I'm actually curious uh, to hear from you, like, where else do you think are places that are kind of on the rise? Because this is something that I'm really, uh, I always geek out on is like, even, even within the US or within other countries, like, where are places that are on the rise that are sort of like, you know, they're, they're closer to kind of the first world type of thing where it's like, um, I, I don't see Brazil as a country on the rise. I mean, it, it had its time, like it, it in the early 2000s, early aughts, it, it was, it was kind of on the rise and then they just opted for socialism. And then they went for, for a decade with socialism and it completely just stagnated the economy. And then Bolsonaro took over and he was kind of like the stopgap guy where he's not like a free market, you know, libertarian or anything. But he stopped some of the socialism from continuing to um, to, to move forward. And then and then, of course, you know, just like any election, they demonized him for all the things, all the bad things that happened. And then now they're bringing in a socialist. So I don't I don't think that, that this is some kind of like, you know, place that's that's going to be in five, 10 years. It's going to be like a paradise or anything like that. So yeah, I'm curious to hear from from you, like. Um, in terms of Mexico or other places, like what do you think is uh, to catch that, you know, if you're on the elevator down, like where do you, what's the next place or what are some other places? Like I, Asia was interesting to me for a long time, but then when COVID hit, it was like, they just went crazy. I mean, almost every country in Asia just completely locked down. I was in Taiwan and that's a, that was a really cool country. And then they just like, they're like, nobody gets in. All the citizens that were not that were traveling had to come home and they had to quarantine for 14 days and pay for it. And I mean, so and then every other country, Thailand went nuts and everywhere went nuts. And I'm like, God, I don't know if I'm into Asia anymore. Yeah. In terms of like, where do I think is, is, is kind of up and coming? I mean, I guess the thing is, like, my opinion on this has kind of changed since since COVID because every single country, almost without exception, went full authoritarian. 
I now kind of discount authoritarianism really around the world generally as being a kind of minus on the, you know, when I'm, when I'm tallying it up as a kind of advantage or disadvantage, because I'm just like, well, everywhere went totalitarianism, yeah. like everywhere exposed themselves as fundamentally being totalitarian That's in right. their essence. So I'm kind of at this point now where I'm like, you know, for instance, I don't know if you've been to Vietnam when you were in, when you're in, 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 um, in Asia, did you visit there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Vietnam would be very, very high on my list. You know, obviously they did go full kind of COVID totalitarian, but, um, you know, no more than, no more than, uh, Canada, you know, no more than, um, really any, any country. So I think, um, the reason that I say somewhere like Vietnam, um, and I do have a few other examples, but Vietnam, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, they are incredibly self-sovereign. The people there, they all, you know, they own the property they're on, they own the land they're on, you know, they, they grow their own food, et cetera. Like they, they are very, very self-sovereign people. And even though it's kind of on paper, a communist country, I don't see any signs of it. There's not really many rules. Nobody kind of gives a crap as long as you're not doing anything to anyone else. Occasionally you have to bribe a police officer because they come around and, you know, there's corruption there, of course, right? But, you know, yeah. there's corruption everywhere. It's just that there it's on a it's on a community level. You know, I always think it's like third world has corruption on a community level. The first world has corruption on a systemic level, right? That's normally, that's right. That's normally the difference, yeah. right? So I kind of, again, corruption, I kind of discount it. But I think that somewhere like Vietnam, it feels to me like the the American dream. The American dream is very much alive there. You know, so many people, yeah. very entrepreneurial, have their own businesses, etc. Very, you know, they've, they're family orientated. They have kind of you know good cultural values in that sense. They look after their fam their family. Um, yeah, I, so I think Vietnam is a good example. I think that recently, and especially since COVID, Africa has appealed to me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it looks like many countries in Africa, they just did not fall for the COVID scam whatsoever. Um, they yeah. seem to kind of really, um, you know, I don't just see reality. They, maybe they just have a natural disposition towards kind of being, um, you know, anti-authority or, or skeptical of authority, but they seem to kind of, you know, car- carry on as normal and they seem to be very entrepreneurial as well. You know, I've, uh, I'm kind of hearing a lot about, um, Africa in terms of, what they're doing in in the technology space, what they're doing in like the Bitcoin space. A lot of Bitcoin companies now are sprouting up over there. I think Africa looks really good. Um, And, you know, obviously Mexico, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons I'm here. I think that Mexico um, has generally done really well with this. I like the fact that they're welcoming to foreigners and especially, you know, there's a lot of people from Canada, especially here who are kind of like freedom seekers who have come to Mexico. Mexico has been very welcoming to them, made it very easy. They actually made it easier I think for Canadians specifically, I don't think I'm, I'm misspeaking here, but I think they made it easier for Canadians specifically to actually apply and get residency and stuff because there were so many coming mm. in. Um, so yeah, I, I think that um, I think that those would be the places I'm looking. Maybe maybe Eastern Europe to a degree, but uh, you know the problem with Eastern Europe, I, I think, is is just everything going on with like Ukraine and Russia. I, I, that that would I would be a bit concerned living in that region at the moment, but. Yeah. What, what yeah. do you think? What, what have you kind of uh, come down as your, your key places? I totally agree with you. I, this, the philosophy of, you know, you have to build your own freedom and to, you know, w- w- one country having slightly more or less authoritarianism, it's not that interesting. And, and, and it's more about like, are you able to run a business? Are you able to, to, you know, is the, what's the visa situation? Is it going to be like, um, ridiculously hard to get a visa or can you like Brazil is Brazil's an easy place to, to stay for a long time. So that's one of the reasons that I'm here. Um, but yeah, like I like Vietnam too. I, I, I see, I noticed the same thing there. The, the, I had, there was this one, you know, they sell a lot of street food in, in Vietnam. Yeah. I, um, 
it, it was when I was there, I don't know if the laws have changed since, but I was there in 2013 and it was illegal to sell food on the streets. But did that stop anybody? Like, no, of course not, because they're Vietnamese. They're awesome. They're like, no, they just keep going. And they, they would have an informant that would tell them when the cops were coming. So if if there were police coming, uh, somebody would tell the the um, the vendor like, hey. And then they had this system where they would just fold up the like they, if they had a stove or something out, they would just fold it all up and they would put it underneath and then they would just sit there and you you didn't even know anything was cooking. And then as soon as the, the police would leave, they, they'd come in, they'd check and they'd look around and the police, then they would leave. And then all the food comes out, all the cooking comes, you know, it's, it's all back. And the, when I saw it happen, it was in the city called Dalat. It's up in the mountains. And I was like, I was watching the whole thing happen. And when the, when the police, there was a police van that came up. And as soon as the van left, the crowd cheered. <laughs> They're like, yay. And I was like, man, this is like, this is like a libertarian country. I mean, yes. just the way they operate, yes. even though, like you said, they're communist, you know, in, in, in theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That That's the thing. They, they seem to have a healthy suspicion of authority and they seem to just kind of want to get on and do their own things. And, you know, maybe that's because of living under some, you know, dictatorial regimes or something, but yeah, it's almost like you kind of have to have an awareness of that. The other country I might add to that list as well, by the way, um, is India because mm -hmm. I feel like India, and this is, this is less on a kind of nationalistic level in terms of what they're doing, but I think that the people there individually they seem to just have a spirit, like really, like they're such free spirited people in India, you know, just yeah. like they are not, um, I don't know, they seem to just live for life, you know, just, it's hard to explain it. I don't know if you've visited there, mm -hmm. but there's an atmosphere no. there and it's just like, people are so free spirited, you know, uh, and, and I really yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, I'd love to. I'd love to check it out. I, I think that you you might have to put up with some things to to, to be there for for a bit. But um, but yeah, I'm sure you know there's there's a potential. I, you know, even though we, we're talking about the authoritarianism, I just I'm so it, it's it angers me that their government is like they they like they they banned. I think it was the hundred that their one hundred bills. I think they, the government came and banned the whatever. I was the there highest, when that uh, happened. Yeah. Oh, you were. I was there. Okay. Yeah, I was in India where they they basically had this process called demonetization or something like that, and it's basically where they 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 decide that the money is no longer currency almost overnight, and then you have to go and like trade it all in. And yeah, it, yeah. it was a very very weird time. It was very disruptive because you know we'd gone there like traveling, and we'd basically just you know taken loads and loads of cash out because it's cash economy over there. So we just took yeah. tons of cash, you know, over there, and uh, something like I think it was about. 10 days or something into the trip. I was in India for about a month, something like 10 days into that trip. Um, it was like cash was completely like all the cash that we got was just rendered worthless, like immediately. Um, wow. so yeah, we had to, you had to like queue up at these kind of government, um, like buildings. They were, they were based, I think they were, I don't know if they were banks or they were actually just like government institution buildings, whatever. And you had to kind of like queue up with all of your money to go inside these buildings to, to then trade it. And you could only trade the equivalent of 40 US dollars per day, right? So you went in, mm. you showed them my ID and stuff and they would only let you do $40. The reason was because the whole point of it was to flush out all of this kind of like dark money, essentially people being paid in cash. People were just like hoarding money under their, under their sofa or whatever, um, you know, yeah. deliberately because they didn't want to pay taxes. So they were trying to flush out all of that money. So they were like, well, if everyone comes in and does $40 a day, then at the end of it, there's going to be people kind of holding the bag, so to speak, of all of these, all of this currency, uh, which is all dark money. And, you know, they've all lost out and all of the other money has been kind of cleaned up. 
Now, right. but what inevitably happened is that the rich people, they it was rich people, essentially, they were trying to catch out by this, you know, property, um, you know, people who were, were collecting rents and stuff all in cash. What they inv- what they just did, though, is they just paid poor people a little bit of money to go to change their cash. They would give them $40 and then say, okay, yeah. we'll give you like an extra $5, go and queue up for an hour, right? Bring me back the 40 and you keep the five, <laughs> right? So yeah. it... it, it like it was fundamentally like flawed, the whole system, but <laughs> it was very disruptive. And, and especially because, you know, we were there as tourists and we were kind of like queuing up to, to, to go and do this stuff. And, um, all that time meant that we weren't spending money in the real economy. So what ended up happening was we, we were joining these queues. Um, and the, the locals were like bringing us to the front of the queue. Right. And then you would have the security guards there kind of at the front of the queue. And they were like, no, 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 go, go to the back of the queue. And the locals were all screaming at them and going, no, let them in, let them in. Because they knew that we were going to go into these buildings, exchange the money, and we were going to go out and spend it. So they knew that it was yeah. important for the tourists to have the money to spend in the economy. Otherwise, nobody's making any money. So it was right. a very interesting time. And there was just it was just peak. You know, we were talking before about like, you know, government and, and, and centralization and all this stuff. This was just peak like bad incentives like they just had not yeah. thought this through at all you know they had this idea we want to get more taxes we want to flush out this kind of dark money but it had all of these consequences that and right. meaning not only did it kind of fail fundamentally in what it was trying to achieve but it actually had it was actually counterproductive because the poorer people were losing out on you know nobody being able to spend money because money became yeah. like really scarce it was, it was very strange very strange yeah. Yeah. It's like they overplayed their hand. I mean, just like the COVID stuff, it's like that, that's the good thing about like, you know, we don't, it, there's always, you know, we talk about all these different places around the world. There's always ways around this stuff and there's always ways to, to uh, create more freedom wherever you are and to find, you know, the workarounds and to find, you know, like, and that's the, that's the beauty of, of seeing this in all different parts of the world is that like, you realize that, you know, the, the, the authoritarians, only have so much power. They don't, they're, they're not going to be able to uh, keep the charade going forever. And a lot of the things they do actually don't work, even though it seems like they have all the power and, you know, they just um, continue, continue on. But it's almost like some of these places like, you know, India or Vietnam and even Mexico are, it's almost, it's more fun to live there than somewhere like Switzerland, which every, everybody just trusts the government and everybody just goes along because the government has it all figured out. And, uh, there's not as much of that opportunity, but you can always find it. You know, there's always ways to, um, ways to, uh, be more free in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, um, get back, back, um, onto that, that topic then of like personal freedom. Why do you think personal freedom is important? Well, um, you know, I think we're, we're born free and it's, it's our natural state. So I think when we have, um, whether it is parents or government or teachers or bosses, even, uh, kind of ordering us around, uh, taking away, taking away our, our freedoms, our autonomy, it becomes unnatural. So, it's a very difficult way to live. And I think the majority of people live this way. So, uh, but when you can, when you can break free and when I say break free, I mean, I mean everything like psychologically, physically, even politically, um, if it's possible, uh, then you start to live in a more natural state to me. Uh, I, I, I see it as that, that what we, what we've done with governments and, you know, sort of collectivizing people and thinking of everything in groups and, ter- and, and instead of individuals is, is not the natural way, even though that's the, that's kind of the world order right now. It's just that this is the, this is the phase that we're in. And, you know, I think it's, it's taken away a lot of opportunities for people in the world to grow. Um, 
because they just don't really know any better. So, so yeah, I think that's the main thing is, is, uh, it's, it's important because it's, because it's natural. Yeah. I was, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was talking about this idea of like, you know, like freedom on an individual level and like the, the kind of importance of that. And, um, the guy put it in like a really, really like in a way that I think is just, it's, it's true, but you can also kind of like sense it, which is that, how do I, how do I, uh, how do I do it justice? I'm not going to be able to just to see the original thing. By the way, the, the podcast was on, uh, oh, I can't even remember what the podcast was. I wish I could, uh, I'll try and put it in the show notes if I remember what the podcast was. Anyway, it basically said like, if, you know, for the, the, the human to actually be able to like become self-actualized, you need freedom because if you have, if you have no freedom, if you have like no personal freedom, if everything is kind of like extracted out to some, you know, institution that defines within the parameters of which you can live your life, right? I, you know, like, I guess like absolute non-freedom would be like, you have no ability to do anything in your life. You can't even move without, you know, asking someone, you can't, you know, take a drink without asking someone, whatever, like that's absolute non-freedom. You can never become self-actualized in that state because you have no like capacity to actually like explore your own, uh, the nature of your own being, the nature of your own, like, you know, your own ethics, your own interactions with other people in the world. And then kind of like the more, the opposite of that, I guess, is like complete freedom. You can do absolutely whatever you want, but kind of like within the realms of that, you, you create your own, um, like your, your desires are your own desires, right? Like they're not desires mm -hmm. that have been forced on you. You know, nobody's kind of telling you exactly how you can live. I think that the more freedom that you have, the more like, potential for self-actualization actualization you have and that doesn't mean you should do ever do anything right that because you yeah. might say well that i don't want to i might have the freedom to kill someone and no one's going to stop me right but you still say i'm not going to kill that person because i have formulated an ethical framework you know which i understand implicitly okay it's wrong to kill or whatever well that's part of self-actualization too you know like even right. developing a even developing your own personal philosophy right which you can only do through some level of kind of like trial and error and through some level of, of freedom right um, yeah. I might be kind of get, getting a little bit away from the point here, but I, I think like fundamentally, like you have to have op like optionality in the world to then be able to like have freedom to be able to be self-actualized and you can't have self, um, kind of optionality without essentially being free, like to, to yeah. the largest degree practicable essentially. Yeah, that's, yeah, I totally agree. And and the, the idea of like that if we, if there were no laws that people would just go around killing each other, um, I think it would actually be there would be much less crime if there were no laws because uh, you, because of what you just said, like being able to self actualize, people would understand themselves at a much earlier uh, point in life, and there wouldn't be some desire to go and kill people, and there wouldn't be a desire to get a bunch of people together and go you know invade some other area and say oh now we rule this because there's no point to it. Like nobody's ruling over, nobody's dominating anyone else. So the less, the fewer laws we have, the more peace we'll have, the more opportunities we'll have. And, you know, things will just kind of flow much better. And um, yeah, I think I had one other thing that, that you said, um, I don't know, I'll probably think of it later, but I, yeah, but that's, that's a good point about self-actualization is, is that, that that's kind of the key to all this is that, is that the more freedom that we can have, the more self-actualized we'll, we'll be. And then it just creates a better world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's an interesting point you raise about the, you know, um, like killing people and whether like, because I think that, you know, some people will say, oh, well, of course we have to have laws, otherwise everyone will kill each other. It's like, will they? You know, like there's many, th there's many things that we just don't do 
Um, like, and we don't necessarily have a law like stopping us doing it, but we know implicitly right. not to do it, right? Like th there yeah. are some things which we, we, we take upon our, our own ethics. And I think this is similar to the argument as well about um, like, I often use this example when people talk about like uh, like taxation, and they say, "Oh, well, without taxation, how are you, how are the poor people gonna gonna eat? How are the poor people gonna be housed and stuff?" And I say, "Well, like if you didn't have taxation, I wonder whether we would probably well, I, I, my belief is we would probably have have less poverty, but I I would say like here's how I would kind of posit the question: is like is the fact that we are spending money on taxes um, actually separating us from the innate desire to actually help other people, i.e., yeah. we just say, "Oh, well, the government's doing. It. I'm paying my taxes, so of course the poor are being fed, and of, of, of course the uh, you know whatever the people in need of a home are being given shelter, right?" But actually, like, they're, well, they're clearly not, right? You, you can walk around to these cities and you can tell, well, it's not happening. But people, it's very right. easy to walk down the city streets, see all these homeless people, and say, "Oh, well, I'm paying my taxes. I'm doing my part." Whereas if there was no taxes, maybe you would say. Hey, you know what? Like, I need to do more for this. Like, maybe I need to help someone out here. Maybe I need to bring someone into my home. Maybe I need to, you know, give them money or give them a job or whatever it might be, because it brings back um, to the individual like personal responsibility. It kind of brings it back into the realm of personal responsibility yeah. rather than abstracting it out for governments that you know really don't have the incentives to deal with the problem anyway. Right. It's, it goes to innovation. I mean, there, if, if, the, if there wasn't taxation and a stranglehold on the economy, there'd be so much more innovation in, in every way. And we talked about homelessness earlier. What, it, what are the creative ways that we're, we're trying to solve that problem? There aren't. They're just throwing money at it. Here, build this structure, build, build, build some houses for these people. And, and then it doesn't work. And then they just put more money into it. But if we had the ability to, to, to help people without having all this ta uh, money taken away from us through taxes, then there would be so much more innovation and, uh, things would, things would flow a lot better. And the, and the idea that, um, yeah, there, there would be far fewer, uh, poor people because, First of all, the free market would create more opportunities for them. And then secondly, the uh, the charities that, you know, even now, like in the U.S., there are so many great charities, we, even with taxation. But if you if you took all, all that money that you're that you're taking from people and just let them keep it, then these charities would just become much better. And and you would have you'd have all kinds of places for people to go. People talk about the safety net and that would be like that, that to your point. I think it'd be much better if we didn't have the government in charge of the safety net. Because I think there could be a safety net. But it would be completely, it would look so different than what it looks like now where, you know, there's, uh, there's so many ways that that could be done. And we don't even know, like, because all we, like you said, people just go, well, you know, I pay my taxes. So, you know, I'm doing my part. And that, if that went away, it's not like people would just go, oh, screw those homeless people. Like, you know, it, people still care. There's enough compassionate people that there would be a lot of programs and things that, that would help um, with poor people. But then it comes down to like entrepreneurship. It's like, how do, how does society move forward? How do we solve problems? It's through entrepreneurship, and that's the by far the best way. Even Bono, the, the, the you know the U two uh, singer, he even came out the other day and he said, you know, I, I thought all these years that it was the uh, the government was was should have fixed all these problems, but now I realize it's 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 entrepreneurs that that, that could really make a difference. Oh, I, I didn't hear that. That's awesome. That's that would be yeah. actually great if I if if he's made that admission. But you're right. Yeah, like through, you can look at this throughout history, and you can you can see categorically the things that have generally 
improve the human condition. It's technology, basically. You know, it's the invention of something new, something paradigm shifting, which normally, by the way, actually makes the individual more sovereign, right? It's things like the bicycle, right? The bicycle was, you know, just an amazing invention that just said, okay, well, now people can kind of get around for essentially like, you know, very, very low cost, little to no cost. And now someone can can go long distances and they can actually improve their lives that way. And normally those are the technologies that do it. Like some technology comes around that makes the individual more self-sovereign that kind of like allows them to, to do something in their own life, provide for themselves in some way or the people around them. And that improves things, right? And um, I would even take this a step further, you know, because we were talking about like some of these um, these like developing nations or something that actually, you know, have, have kind of, People are more self-sovereign, like Vietnam, et cetera. And the fact that they haven't really developed like a welfare state, um, you know, mm-hmm. not just there, but in a lot of other countries, it actually means that the societal kind of, um, the societal paradigm never really arrives that you actually end up needing it. Because, you know, you go to these places and it's like, because there is no welfare state, old people get looked after by the family, right? They have to take them into mm-hmm. the home. You know, someone who right. has an addiction problem or whatever, or, you know, they're not just kind of like, okay, well, the government will will deal with you. Go and go into a government system, a government program. It's like, well, no, they're taken into the house. They're dealt with by the family. You know, there might be many people who, who like, they would otherwise be on the street if there was a welfare system because people just say, okay, well, I'm not responsible for this person, even if it might be my own, like, family or whatever. I actually think that, the fundamental nature of, of people, and we have to accept this, you know, because as much as we try to abstract away all these ideas of like collectivism and stuff, I think that when it comes down to it, the the human instinct is you look after yourself and your family and the people close to mm-hmm. you that you actually love and care about. And anything outside of that, you will try to wriggle out of, right? Everyone, no matter how, mm-hmm. um, you know, virtuous you are, like everyone tries to wriggle out of taxes, right? Like, Everyone does right. this, whether you're a company, whether you're self-employed, or whatever, you get your tax thing and you're like, what can I put down as an expense to try and wriggle out of this taxation? Now, you don't do yeah. that for your friends and family. Like when your friends and family come to you and, and, and need help, you don't say, okay, well, what can I wriggle out of here? You say, okay, well, yeah. you know, I love and care for this person. I want to help them out. That's the natural human condition. And all of yeah. this state apparatus has tried to basically invert like the natural state of human nature. And I, and also, you know, I don't think it's selfish to say this stuff. Like this is this is just accepting how it should be. And, you know, I think that actually it's the opposite. People should be taking more personal responsibility for themselves and the people around them. And, you know, I think that with the the new world that we're going into where there is a kind of, in my opinion, like a renaissance of people caring about stuff like self-sovereignty and self-sustainability, et cetera. I hope that one of those things is actually saying, you know what, like, let's, let's care, let's do more for the community around me. You know, let's actually do that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's take that into my personal responsibility. Now that the state has, you know, is out of that business because they're broke or bankrupt or, you know, doing their own thing, whatever they're doing. Um, how can I, how can I do better for my, my community and improve things? And I hope that people will, will start asking those questions again, you know, like, like we once did and like, like they still do in in many societies around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's going to be a hard lesson for some people to learn, unfortunately, because we're so used to, especially in a, in a rich country like the U S where it's like, um, it's just a given that that there's all this money flowing out there. I mean, when the, when the COVID money started coming out, I was like, no, this is not going to end well. You know, when they started sending checks to people, I, I just knew, no matter what, even if it was just the loans at the low rates and stuff, I, I just knew that this was going to end badly. And, and sure enough, here we are like, two years later and it's not, not looking too good. So, uh, yeah, so I think it's it, it, whenever you take that incentive away, um, and you start giving people things like that, it just totally doesn't work. And they have natural incentive. Like you said, it's a volunteer, you know, it has to be voluntarism. It has to be voluntary, um, voluntarily helping people. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way to go. Forced for forcing people to help other people 
yeah, that's never gonna, it's never gonna work. And, and, you know, you're right. I think the next, the, the next 10 years are going to be very interesting to see how, how things, how things shape, shake up, shape up. Um, I, I like to be an optimist and say that, you know, there are going to be ways, you know, like the, the freedom in an unfree world. And there are always, there are always ways to, to maintain, stay free and to build freedom. And, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, like there aren't a lot of problems coming down, you know, in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, man, tell me about your, your podcast, uh, the freedom loving podcast. I've been listening to, you got some, some great, um, interviews on there and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I've learned a little bit about yourself as well through it. So tell me about kind of getting that started and, you know, what your kind of objectives are in doing it. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I started it as it freedomloving.com started as a blog when I was, uh, traveling and I was actually in Southeast Asia and, I was just doing blog posts and videos and stuff like that and um, didn't really have much of a plan with it other than just for, you know, send it, send it to my parents and like a few, a couple friends that wanted to see what I was doing. And then um, I got back and after a while I was like, you know, I kind of want to do a podcast. And so I started a podcast and uh, I didn't really, the only plan was to talk about freedom and to talk about like things like this, like things I like to, that I enjoy talking about. So I just had friends on the first few episodes are just friends of mine that we share a lot of uh, the same philosophy. And, and, um, and then I started getting into like, you know, kind of interviewing entrepreneurs and other people and doing some solo shows. And, um, you know, I just, I, I really enjoyed it for a while. And then I took some time off, lost most of my audience and then, then kind of made a comeback. And now I, I rebranded it, um, this year, wait, was it this year? Yeah. Um, this year I rebranded it and it's, it's got a little bit different feel. Um, I, I wanted to, to kind of extract information from some books, and and do like somewhat sort of like book summaries, but I call them freedom reads. And so I was I did a few episodes on different books I think are really valuable. And then um, and now I'm I'm getting back to sort of having conversations with people. I just that's what I enjoy. You know, I enjoy talking. It's kind of like you know when you listen to Joe Rogan, he you know he's got he's got a lot of money obviously, and he can do whatever he wants. And he's like. I just want to talk to people and have, have a good time and, you know, have, have conversations. And that's kind of where I'm at is like, I don't have a goal. I don't really have a, you know, the, an end point to it. I just think that at some point I will probably do more with it, but I have no idea what that is yet. I have a business that I run that, so this is kind of freedom loving is kind of a side thing because, um, you know, I think that the, the, uh, combination of the philosophy, the freedom philosophy and entrepreneurship are, are what, you know, is sort of my, that's kind of what I'm about and what I, how I see the, the world moving forward. So, so I like to do both of those things, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's the podcast, um, freedom love it. It's a great time. And, uh, I met a lot of really cool and interesting people through it. And that's what I want to keep doing. Yeah, man. I, I totally, totally feel that as well. Yeah. Like, you know, when I, when I started the podcast, I didn't really kind of think exactly where it was going to go. I just, I, I could just sense there was all these cool people I was communicating with online and I was like, I, I want to talk to these people, you know, these people I want to have conversations with and talk about the world and all the rest of it. And it's a, uh, it's a really fulfilling experience. It's not necessarily for everyone, you know, but like, I think it is, uh, if you're one of those people who kind of like, you know, um, gets kicks from that, then it's great. I think I heard you say in one of your episodes that you were an introvert as well. Did I, did I mistake that? Or did mm -hmm. you, yeah, you are, you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask. So like, based upon you, you saying you're introvert, like, do you, do you find that the, do you find that the, the podcast is a way also of you kind of, um, expressing yourself in a way that, you know, maybe is kind of like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, for instance, as an introvert, is that kind of also one of your, uh, one of the, the things that you've got out of it? I actually have never thought of that. That's an interesting, um, point. It could, that could, it could be, that could be, 
uh, one of the things. Um, I, I feel like, uh, like we, being an introvert one-on-one is, is not a problem. I mean, if, if it's a one-on-one conversation, um, no problem. It's, it's when I go to a party and I, I talk to like, you know, 15 people and at the end of that time, I'm just exhausted and I, I don't want to talk to anybody for a while. And, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so, uh, is my, my namorada, my girlfriend, um, <laughs> say hi. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, that's a, it's a great topic cause I, I think I thought I was weird for most of my life. And then I read a book called the introvert advantage at some point. And that book, like I, I, I just can't, I had all these realizations. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not that weird. Like I just thought I was weird because I was always the quiet kid in school. And, uh, and I, I just, thought I was just completely different from most people. And especially in the U S um, it's a very extroverted country, um, where it's like, everyone wants to be like, look at me and you know, like what I'm doing. And so it was, it was sort of a difficult, um, thing to grow up as an, as an introvert. But then once you realize that there are advantages to it, it's amazing. It's like, it, it just, it, it turned over a whole new leaf for me. And, and then, uh, you know, but there are struggles too. I mean, like Brazil, I mean, it, the U S is an extroverted country. Brazil is like, that times 10, you know, it's like, everybody's always talking. It's like, there's, you can't leave. I can't walk out of my apartment here and not have somebody saying hello to me, bon dia, you know, and it's like, um, it, and it, it takes me out of my head, which is, which is good. You know, that's always a good thing, but, but yeah, the podcast thing, I think I used to, when I was young, I used to want to be like a radio disc jockey. Like I thought that would be fun to be on the radio and I never did it. And then when I had the opportunity to do a podcast, it was like, yeah, that's kind of the same thing, you know, only it's, it's more on my schedule and, and I can kind of guide it more than having to, to conform to whatever radio station. So. Cool. Cool. How long have you been doing it now? The podcast? Well, I started in 2013, but it's, it's been like, there've been years oh, man, when I G. didn't do it at all. Yeah, yeah. 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 I did. I even did a podcast before that, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been like an, it's been like an off and on thing where I, I get really into it for a while and then I kind of back off and I go, yeah, I got other things to do, but, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey. Ah, uh, cool. Cool. But yeah, no, it's awesome. You know, that you, you, you're, obviously consider yourself an introvert and stuff, but you obviously live a life, you know, doing stuff like podcasting and living in different countries and stuff, which, you know, that's, that's all stuff that I imagine is quite difficult, you know, for an introvert. So, um, you know, like huge credit to you for kind of doing all that stuff. Cause I imagine that, you know, it's quite a big step to take. I think that maybe my natural disposition is extroverted, but I, I don't know, it's, it's a weird one, but, um, but yeah, I imagine that doing, you know, living this kind of, kind of life that you're living, you know, digital nomadism, living in different places, like doing that as an introvert, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it, there's a scale. I mean, obviously, everybody's, you know, uh, somewhere on the scale of like, you know, right. com- computer programmer sitting you know, living in the basement uh, would be the extreme introvert. And then, you know, like constantly being around people all day long, you know, like th- there is a there's a balance. And I like I had a group of friends once. Um, and they were, we were talking about this, we had this topic and, and I said, yeah, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm definitely on that side. And one of the, one of the friends was like, no, you're not, that doesn't make any sense at all. You are, you're always wanting to do things and go out. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm not I'm definitely like on the social end of the introversion scale, but, um, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're always, you're always alone and you're just, you can't talk to people and stuff like that. It, it's, it's, you know, there are differences. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Cause actually when you were just saying there about, you know, like going to parties with, with loads and loads of people, I, I've, I think that that's probably true of me as well. Like I'm, I love being around people. I don't really like being on my own, like being on my own kind of that sucks, but I like being around people, but there's, there's kind of like a, a kind of golden number there somewhere, you know, maybe around like, yeah. I don't know, four to five people that's, you know, I'm in my element there, but actually you're right. right. Like 
it, as it gets kind of more and more, it does become kind of much more exhausting. So yeah, maybe there's a kind of sweet spot for different people. Some people that's sitting on their own reading. That's not me personally, but uh, you know, it's also like, you know, massive like crowds, like really big crowds, like big parties and stuff. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I ne- that's necessarily like my my sweet spot either. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about books. Um, you got any book recommendations for us? Well, I, you know, I think, did, did we talk about the um, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World? Um, no. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, so that, that's kind of how, um, so a, a guy named Harry Brown, he, um, he was actually the Libertarian Party candidate for president in 1996 and 2000. And, um, the, he would go on TV back then. And that was when I was first kind of becoming aware of, of, uh, like what my political be- beliefs were. And, um, he, he was, he ran for president, but before that, in 1973, he wrote a book called how I found freedom in an unfree world. And it was all about how to be free in your life, despite the things that are going on around you, despite taxation, despite whatever the government's doing and, and, and all the different ways. And it's a very deep book. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting read. Um, and especially because you're a, you're a, you're kind of a digital nomad traveling and stuff. I, I would recommend it because it, it sort of gives you that, uh, um, sort of foundation of, well, how can I, in this situation, um, how can I be the most free? What, what is the thing? And it could be friendships. It could be romantic relationships. It could be, um, you know, money situations, you know, anything. And, and it really opened me up when I read that book. And then, um, he actually talks about in the book, don't get involved in political like groups with that that are trying to change, uh, political things because most of the time they just never work and you just waste a lot of time. And, and that, that, that really hit home for me because I, I was doing the Ron Paul thing. And, and it was right after that, I read this book and it was like, yeah, this, this, this makes a lot of sense. So that for me, that, you know, based on our conversation today, um, I think any of your listeners would love that book. It's, it's hard to find the hard copy book or version, but it's easy to find the PDF online. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Thanks for the, thanks for the suggestion. So yeah, man, this is, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm really glad that we've, you know, got to, got to know each other and, you know, like I appreciate you inviting me on your pod and I'm glad that we kind of did this little podcast exchange. So uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely check out the Freedom Loving Podcast. Uh, I did a recent episode on there, but there's loads of like great uh, conversations on there as well. So yeah, people should definitely check out the pod. Is there anything else you want to, um, you want to touch on before we, before we finish up? Oh, just, just, I want to mention that um, I wrote a book and I released it this summer. Ah, um, books, it's yes, called, sorry. yeah, yeah, no <laughs> worries. Um, yeah. It's called the Rebel's Guide to Freedom. And um, it's kind of, it, it, it started when in the middle of COVID when everything was seemed kind of hopeless and uh, I, what I kind of like dug in and was, was uh, trying to figure out is like, why aren't people, uh, why aren't people rebelling against what is going on? It's like mo- the vast majority of people just went along with every single step of the way. And it was really bothering me. And so I wrote this book with the idea that we all do have a rebel part, but it gets squashed all along the way in childhood and school and with media and all this stuff. And, and how do, how can we channel that to, for, uh, to allow us to build more freedom in our own life. Just what we're talking about in this podcast. How can we, how can we use that rebel part, but not to go against the government, not to try to change the system, but to build ourselves up in our own lives and in all the different areas that, that you can think of, you know, money and, and relationships and, um, and, and your job or career and, and all these things. So I get into all that and I talk about, you know, how, how we can best use this rebel part and in, in building a better world and starting with ourselves. Nice man. I love the I love the the fact that you're kind of um you're straddling this line, it seems, between almost like uh kind of self-improvement and 
um, like libertarianism and, and freedom philosophy and stuff. I, I love that you're kind of like in between those two zones because, um, yeah, you know, quite a lot of like, I guess that the freedom philosophy stuff, you know, it can get a bit like, <laughs> I guess when, you, when you're looking at, you know, some of like Austrian economics and this kind of stuff and reading Rothbard, it could be kind of heavy, but like, you're, you know, this kind of stuff that you're talking about is very much on an individual level of like, you know, what can you do? And, you know, I'm sure that people can kind of become like, much more self-actualized like we were talking about you know um through yeah the exactly in life so i love that it applies directly to that um how, so with the book uh, is that your first time writing um i i wrote a book on uh, swimming before i was a competitive swimmer and i actually wrote a book on swimming um before that but uh, but really this was my first like just from scratch just coming up with ideas and putting a book together great how, how did you find that process um, it took me a lot longer than I ever thought. <laughs> I started in August of 2020 and I released the book in August of 2022. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, a it was a lot of work, a lot more work than I ever imagined. But, um, but it, overall, uh, it, it, I didn't, I wasn't in a hurry. I didn't, I didn't have a deadline in my head. Um, I just thought for some reason that I could knock it out in six months, but that didn't happen. But, um, no, it was, it was good. I, I, I learned a lot. I, I, I learned a lot about writing. I learned a lot about, um, you know, uh, coming up with ideas and, and, and then, you know, now it's been since then, I, I've just kind of put that project not really on hold, but just sort of on the side while I, while I work on my business. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think everybody needs to write a book. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's quite a process. I did hire a book coach and I think that was, that was really helpful to organize my thoughts and everything. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, I hope that at some point, we get to meet in person. If you ever come in by Mexico, then uh, yeah, let me know. I also want to come to Brazil at some point because uh, you know you're the second person I know over there as well. I think I mentioned on yeah. your podcast a guy called Gareth Martin. He's over there as well in Brazil. Yeah, I listen. I listen uh, to that show. Yeah, I was, I was oh, cool. curious about that. Yeah. Uh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and make it there sometime. But if not, and you you end up in Mexico, then uh, be great to hang out. I'll be there in April. So Mexico City, uh, I have a conference. So definitely, uh, and, and who knows, uh-huh. I might end up going to the beach after. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. What's the, what's the conference? Yeah. It's called the dynamite circle. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an entrepreneur group. It's, it's a lot, a lot of digital nomads are in it and um, yeah, a lot of people with online businesses and they do, they do two conferences a year. Usually one is in Thailand and Bangkok and the other one is in Austin. And now they, they, since, um, COVID and Thailand shut down, they just were doing Mexico city, but now they did one, they just did one in October and now they're, they're going to do one in, in Mexico city in, in April. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, if you do make it out to the coast, I don't know whether um, I don't know whether I'll go go to Mexico City at some point. I kind of like going there less and less. I do like it though; it's yeah. a great city. I don't know if you've been there. Yeah. If you've been there before, but it's it's I really have. awesome. As far as big cities go, it's uh, it's a really good one. But uh, yeah, if you make it out to the coast or whatever, um, then that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be great time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, Johnny, appreciate you having me on. It's been a blast uh, chatting with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. All right, take it easy, dude. All right, cheers. Bye.